My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. And welcome to Our Sunday School. Um, we have folks from Sydney, Ohio. Good morning, Ron. Uh, Dyer, Indiana. Good morning, Amy. Uh, North Carolina, the Greggs, Oak Ridge, Miss Miller, good grief, You're like geographically dispersed pretty well this morning, so, and I'm glad you guys are here too, so, fantastic. We are in Mark chapter 9, uh, not Mark chapter 9, we're in Mark chapter 13, what am I talking about? 14, look at this, look at this, oh, there it is, okay, see, this is, this is the downside, I used to teach a speed reading class like 15 years ago. And you just glance at information and you get all everything mixed up. So you have this mathematician that just looks at this and goes, Mark chapter 13. We'll try it again. Mark chapter 14 this morning. There we go. So uh, the question that we ask at the beginning of each class is what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Uh, so I'll give you a minute to think about that question. What your answer might be. And Leslie's online this morning. Good morning, Leslie. <laughs> He's here. He's sitting right over there, just in case you were wondering. He's... This is one of the funny things that I get to do when um, our members' parents show up is every once in a while, and you've actually never done this, but every once in a while uh, the parents will say, now how often is my you know, grown adult child in church, and uh, I've, I have found several ways to artfully not answer that question, uh, but very fortunately, the vast majority of the time, it's like, yes, this is good, this is a good answer, so it makes me laugh. Uh, but shockingly frequently, even though you didn't ask, so there you go. Yes, <laughs> that's right, and what a joy, right? That's pretty cool, pretty cool. All right, so what's God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? So there's always one person in every class that giggles during the awkward silence. I won't tell you where she's sitting. <laughs> yes, she doesn't like silence. Which means we don't have arguments for very long in our house, so that's fantastic, right? So this is really good. It's really good. All right, so let's read, before I get too far into that subject, uh, let's read through Mark chapter 14. I feel this uh, crashing and burning very quickly here. So, uh, Mark chapter 14, we'll read through the entire chapter, and then we'll come, actually read through verse 31, uh, and then we'll come back and uh, look at the second half of this Jesus anointed at Bethany section. Mark 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. 
And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whatever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And whenever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. The disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after, blessing, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny And they all said the same. I don't know if you heard my volume going up as I was reading, uh, but I was trying to speak loud enough where I could hear. Hopefully you could hear. So, <clears throat> yes, uh, not everybody's having a wonderful Sunday morning today. <laughs> it's amazing, yeah. Um, it's also amazing when I hold the mirror up really close to myself and think about how often I actually behave that way on the inside and just don't show it externally. So, lest you think I'm throwing rocks at the little ones. Uh, so Mark chapter 14 opens up with this little blurb at the beginning about uh, the chief priests and the scribes a couple of days before the Passover are seeking how to arrest Jesus. 
Um, they go and they are collaborating. They are trying to figure out when they want to do this. And then in verse 3, the scene change while he was at Bethany. Uh, so we talked last week a little bit about Bethany. Uh, she's at that table this morning. Uh, but Bethany is about a mile uh, to the, what is that, east of Jerusalem, uh, just across the Mount of Olives. So Jesus did a lot of teaching on the Mount of Olives where they could see the temple. Uh, so he's at Bethany at this point. They're going to go back into the temple uh, compound uh, soon. Uh, but right now, that is geographically where they are. So they're in the house of Simon the leper. We talked a little bit about that last week, that this could mean a lot of different things. Uh, and likely, he still wasn't afflicted with leprosy because that would have limited your ability to you know, have folks over. And as he's reclining at table and... I don't know how many of you guys lay down while you eat, but it's not the way we do it at our house. Um, but this was the norm for them. So a woman, some unnamed woman here, uh, came with an alabaster flask of ointment. So we talked last week about uh, the alabaster flask and how uh, this is actually in a picture of a somewhere around 2,000, 2,500-year-old alabaster flask. Uh, that would have and was, would have been designed to carry something like uh, fragrant spices. And uh, if you think about it, I mean, you, you wouldn't have gone to the grocery store and gotten a Tupperware set that you have mismatched lids to and you never can find, and the dishwasher eats them, and I think the dryer eats them. I don't know. Um, I saw something on uh, Twitter the other day. It said, when you lose a sock in the dryer, it comes back as a mismatched Tupperware lid. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's got to be close. You know, I think that's actually reasonable. Uh, but if you'll notice, these types of jars were made with a lid that you could put on and you could take off to put things in, to take things out. Uh, they didn't have uh, production capacity to create the... Uh, the wrapper and the item inside all at the same time. This would have been something that would have been designed to be reused. So kind of keep that picture in your head, if you would. And that's really where we stopped last week. So she's got an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Like that, yes, just on cue. It's almost like we practiced this, right? So how many of you guys know what nard is? Anybody know what nard is? Anybody have any nard at home? No, I'm looking online. I don't see anything. Sounds like lard, right? Yes. Um, shockingly different than lard. <laughs> so I, I don't think your cooking is going to go well if you crack this open and like that's just not going to go. It's not going to go well. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to crack it open. Uh, I want to smell what nard smells like. So while uh, you are attempting to get through the wrapper and the, you know, it's probably childproof 14 ways. Um, so Josh can open that up for us. So this, this nard is actually called spikenard, and it's an aromatic plant with roots that are used to make perfume. This is the definition of the word itself. Um, it is considered, here we go, an essential oil. Like this is one of the, if you have... If you have a friend or multiple friends, or if you sell these, somewhere on the order form is going to be spikenard. Um, and I have no idea what it smells like. And there, oh, he needs help. There we go. 
So he's phoned a friend. Um, we may need a pocket knife. If anybody carries a pocket knife? Nail clippers, that might work. Yep. Yep, yep, I hear it. She got it. There we go. <laughs> so, the, yes, ma'am. Spike nerd, yes. Uh, actually, it's on your handout. Uh, if you look at page 455, about a third of the way down, it should be highlighted uh, right after where nard is. It's spike nerd. As if you were going to spike a drink with nard, which is not what you would do with this. Like, that is... You got it? All right. So we're all wearing masks, so I don't know if we're going to be able to smell it or not. We'll see. You can actually already smell it? Oh, let's not take it out of the bottle then. Okay. You can't smell it? Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. I've got a stronger mask down here, so I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he didn't know he was doing it, but he was doing it. So is it good? Is it bad? Is it okay? Is it what? Earthy. Earthy. Yeah. I'm going to have you pass it around that way. It's going to make a big arc away from me. <laughs> so it's got an earthy smell. All right. Um, what does Jesus say later on in this text she was doing this for? Anointing the body, right? For preparation for what? Burial. His burial. Did it say she knew that? I just said this is what she's doing. Right? So maybe she knew, maybe she didn't, I don't know. If she'd been paying attention to Jesus, she would have known this was coming, right? He has not made this a secret that he is going to die. He is going to be killed. He's going to be buried. Like, this has been something he has been, he's been beating this drumbeat very, very consistently for some time now. So why would you want to anoint a body for its burial? Yes. If, um, I'm not going to ask for stories, and I'm not going to ask for raising of hands. But if you've ever been around a body that has been dead for, it, it does not get better. It only gets worse, right? It gets worse very quickly. It is not a pleasant experience in any way, shape, or form. And for many, uh, there would be a period of mourning, of public mourning, uh, of visitation of the dead body. Um, you remember this. It's a couple stories in the Bible about somebody dies and then they're buried and like there's people around and I mean, there's all kinds of different things here. But there was a, a process of anointing. So this ointment of pure nard, very costly. Uh, again, this is one of those passages where the answer comes a little later. What did, what did those who disagreed with her action say how much it was worth? 300 denarii. Do you remember what a denarii, what you got paid a denarii for? One day's work. One day's work. So if you think about 300 denarii, if you take one out of kind of every seven days off, that's about a year's salary for a day laborer. You're like, okay, so let's do the math. In our modern times, day laborer, we'll say 10 bucks an hour, 2,000 hours a year, it's a $20,000 sacrifice in today's dollars. All right, so what, whatever your financial situation is, are you going to be 
carrying around something that's worth 20,000, like not in a, not in a vessel that will break, <laughs> right? I want it in a lockbox. I want it padded. I want it, you know, like, no, I want this very, very well protected. So let's go back to the verse three real quick. She's very, it's very costly. It's extremely expensive is what the, the word for very costly means. And she broke the flask. Now, you remember the flask had a lid on it, right? The flask was not, you didn't have to break the flask. Like this was not part of something that was mandatory. So what is she signifying when she says, I'm breaking this? We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're using it all and we're not using this thing again. Like this, this, this little flask ends up having one real purpose or one ultimate purpose. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, for those of you that have smelled it so far, imagine a flask of that being poured over your head. How long's that gonna hang around? Long time, yeah, long time. And this is one of the things that the theologians and the Bible teachers have struggled with this particular text in Mark, because if this is the same text that, um, that Luke talks about, I'm sorry, that John talks about in John 12, and John says it happens the day before his triumphal entry, then as he's riding into Jerusalem, people around him would be able to smell this. Right? If this is a separate event, anybody near him would be thinking, why has somebody anointed him with burial ointment? Like this is, there would ha the senses would be engaged throughout the rest of his, ugh, that's not the way to say that. The senses would have been engaged for everybody who was around him up until the point of his crucifixion. Okay? So, this is what's going on with them. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we go through the rest of 14 and the rest of 15. So she broke it and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves, or, or talked among themselves, there's a way to read this where it's, it sounds like Jesus is reading their minds again. That's not what's actually happening here. They're, they're, there's a group over here who's talking, and they're saying this amongst themselves. Indignantly, or to be greatly afflicted. Jesus is actually greatly afflicted earlier in Mark chapter uh, 10. And then there's this kind of ambiguous use of it in 1041. And then there's this, you know, you're just flat out wrong in... 14.3, uh, 14.4 here. So they said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted? All right, so let's pause for a second. Is that a true statement? Was the ointment wasted? No, it was not. So not everything we see that somebody does is going to be understood by everybody who sees it. You're like, well, duh, Jim. Yes, welcome to Facebook. Okay. Uh, why was the ointment wasted like that? It was not wasted. This is not a true statement. For, so here's, here's my reasoning, this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Does that sound like a noble thing? You're going to give a $20,000 donation to the poor. That seems like a noble thing. I passed a billboard on the way from my house this morning to this facility that talked about how are you feeding the poor? I was like, well, I know how I'm feeding the poor. I give it to my church, and a portion of my church's proceeds go to Chattanooga Area Food Bank. 
we also and our family donate directly to the Chattanooga Area Food Bank. I think it's a really good thing. I don't like the thought of people being hungry. I certainly don't like the thought of little kids being hungry. It breaks my heart. Let's give money. Awesome. I'm taking no umbrage whatsoever with the concept of giving money to the poor. I think that is a good thing. Jesus is actually going to say that it's not a bad thing. So it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. But they didn't just say that, right? Because when we get indignant about somebody else's worship, we tend to go way, way, way too far. And they scolded her. And this is a plural imperfect. So the group continually was doing this activity to have indignation on, to blame, to sigh with chagrin, to sternly enjoin. They scolded her. You ever been scolded by a group? Like a, a, a group of people that went on and on. It is not a fun thing to do. It is not a, a fun place to be. In verse 6, but Jesus said to her, or Jesus said, sorry, leave her. And I have a, a, the word alone highlighted in my notes because alone is actually not, uh, you, you could think about it as an extension of the word for leave, but leave is a plural imperative. He is commanding them what to do here. This is not a, like y'all should think about slowing down. No, 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 no. Stop it. Like, stop it. Which I love. Because who's the most vulnerable person in the room? She is. She is, absolutely. She is the lowest uh, status, rank, whatever term you want to use. And she has just been incredibly transparent, shockingly worshipful, and fulfilling all sorts of things that connect Jesus with David in the Old Testament about being anointed multiple times, and Jesus is the true and better David. So Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? The word for trouble is to cut or to pain. It's actually two different words. It's the word for uh, kapas and then pareko, uh, uh, for to hold near, to keep going with this. How do you, why, do you, why, do you, why are you cutting her? Why are you paining her? Why, do you, why are you troubling her? She has done a beautiful thing. Does that sound like waste? That doesn't sound like waste at all. We, we, we associate waste with always being negative. We don't ever want to waste. We want to be efficient, right? This was not a waste. This is a beautiful thing. I will challenge you to read through the New Testament and see how many times Jesus calls something beautiful. It is shockingly small number of times. This is beautiful. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And then Jesus goes on, here's my reasoning. For you always have the poor with you. Like eradicating poverty will not be successful ever, full stop. Until there's a king on the throne and a new heaven and a new earth and that is no longer a thing, right? Jesus is actually, the ironic, the ironic thing here for my, in my mind is Jesus is the only one who can resolve this issue. And he's telling them it's not going to be resolved, right? You, you don't have the capacity to fix this. So that's wonderful. You think 300 denarii is going to put a dent in this, but no, it's not. 
She's done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do what for them? Good. Jesus calls it good. This is why I feel very comfortable taking money that we have earned, that the Lord has allowed us to use, and donating it to causes like feeding the poor. He calls it good. Cool. You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Now, I want to, for just a second, separate, and I'm really going to try not to be heretical here. It's probably always a goal, but um, especially right now. I want to separate Jesus' earthly body from the eternal Son of God, right? The eternal Son of God always has been, always is, always will be. Absolutely. But Jesus' physical presence on the earth as Jesus Christ our Lord, fulfilling the mission that the Father gave to him, had a specific boundary. That specific boundary is what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying the full Son of God, eternal being, Jesus Christ, is only going to be around for a short. No, 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 no. Make sure we're talking about the right, talking about the, the physical, earthly presence of Jesus on the earth as he is fulfilling his Father's will with his life. You will not always have me. And she has done what she could. The word for could is actually to hold. Because where do you keep something that's worth $20,000 if there wasn't a bank? Probably not far from where you are. Probably in a very protected place. Right? She's actually done what she held. She has anointed, she has applied perfumed ointment to my body beforehand for burial. So don't miss that there is something special. See, this is where the verb tense is screwed up. Is, was, is what? We need an English word for is and was at the same time. That would be helpful. There was and is something special about the physical body of Jesus. Like, yes, this is God in the flesh. And her sacrifice is commended by him, refuting this concept of a waste, says this is a beautiful thing. She has done what she could. May this be said of us, right? Each and every day. Did we do what we could? N- not in a, I'm working toward my salvation. Not in a, I am feeding the poor. Not in, I am doing good works in the community. In that I have recognized who Jesus is and have responded appropriately. Because this is not a story about how much the ointment cost. This is a story about how worthy and special Jesus is. We can get wrapped around the axle on the pictures of the bottle and what the spike nerd smells like and how much it costs and the math and this and that and the other, but the reality is the all-surpassing beauty of Jesus Christ shines far brighter than the pungent odor of the spike nerd. These two things are not even on the same plane. 
So don't miss that the most beautiful thing in this story is that the body of Jesus Christ was loved and valued and responded to appropriately. Finally, somebody who's listening to what he said is going to happen and responds appropriately. And this is not one of the disciples. Again. (laughs) And if you have spent any time, any time at all, around uh, what I believe to be late teenagers, many of them, uh, some of them would have been uh, early 20s, probably at the most. Uh, they are not shockingly attentive or obedient creatures, uh, teenage boys, young men. This is, this is not the intellectual cream of the crop of the world, right? This is where you've gotten uh, no life experience, really, and a lot of boldness. And we see that often in the disciples. So she's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Do you see how Jesus, again, does not miss an opportunity to circle back? I'm going to be buried. Look at the relentless nature of his communication around the truth of the gospel. Like Somebody just cracked open a perfume bottle, and he's talking about the gospel again. That's impressive. Like, How can we get to the gospel in as many conversations as we can? How do we recognize in our actions, our behaviors, and what we spend money on, in our value systems, in all of our, what we do, how can we acknowledge the beauty and the majesty and the worth of Jesus Christ? It is not an, verse 9 is not hyperbole. Verse 9 is not an overstatement of what she has done. Verse 9 is true and accurate. There is no sentence in the Bible where God looks at and he goes, I wish I could have reworded that. I'd have said that differently upon second thought. You know, no. (laughs) Every bit of it is true. Verse 9, and truly, I say to you, Jesus actually gives himself an amen here. That's what the word truly is. And amen, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, words only shows up eight times in Mark's gospel, one's here. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, is heralded, is communicated, in the whole world, What she has done, like, the demonstrative pronoun is left out of the ESV. That, like, that thing that she did will be told that's a future passive indicative. You want to talk about some wonkiness right there. Future means it's in the future. Indicative, it's a statement of fact. Passive means something's going to happen to force it to occur. This is actually one of the words that I believe supports the, preser- the, the theology of the preservation of God's word. That, that the things that happen that God wanted preserved will be preserved as he desires. It's a beautiful verb. It's a beautiful verb. The thing that she has done will be told in memory of Many of you probably grew up in churches where there was a small table at the front of the, you know where I'm going now, right? The small table at the front of the sanctuary. And it says, etched into the front, do this in remembrance of me, right? Not anybody else, because this is about Jesus. Not here. That is a feminine pronoun. The only way to translate that is her. 
I think that's incredible. The, the idea that somebody who just recognized and acknowledged and acted in a way that Jesus Christ was God and was the most special person and had the most special body in the history of the universe, this is honoring to her in memory of her. And I would say Exhibit A, Your Honor, is, you know, 1,990 years later, some white dude a couple of thousand miles away who has never smelled spikenard before is telling this story. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. This, to me, is Jesus just a little bit of a hat tip toward this is how your story becomes redeemable. This is how your story is valuable. See, we only have value because God declares we have value. We have usefulness as, in as much as he uses us as in part of his larger story. It's a gorgeous story. It's an absolutely gorgeous story. So you might say, Jim, so what, what's the point? Well, there's a couple of points. So big picture, and I'm covering verses 1 through 9 here. Uh, no, application number 1, Jesus had enemies, right? This is the, uh, the interlude in between the chief priests and the scribes are plotting, and next week, Lord willing, Judas sells him out, right? So this, this is the gap between. So what do we do with that? Uh, I would say recognize them. Jesus still has enemies. Uh, application number two, Jesus had worshipers. Yes. And don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's a, there's a war between the, the, <laughs> the enemies and the worshipers and we've got to do our part to win. No, 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 no. Jesus did all the work, right? All the work. We're just called to be obedient. Let's not put ourselves in his place here. Uh, so what do we do with that? I would say recognize them. And then application number three, uh, both are remembered, both the enemies and the worshipers. So what do we do with that? I would say choose wisely. I'm going to go back to the she has done what she could. And please, please, please do not hear me telling you to go out and to work hard for Jesus. That is not what this is about. This is about acknowledging who he is and responding in a worshipful, sacrificial way as a result of the truth of the majesty and glory of Jesus. This is not about volunteering in the nursery. Although I praise God somebody was there to help that poor child this morning who was about to lose their ever-loving mind. Um, but this is about worshiping the then, soon-to-be-crucified king, the now-risen king. And it is a beautiful story. It is a beautiful story. So that's the lesson for this morning. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Mark 14.10. Uh, and next week's handout is already over there. Spoiler alert. It's on one piece of paper. Big things sometimes come in small packages. <laughs> Don't mistake the, the, 
the breadth and the impact of those two verses next week with, like, it's just a little bit of a few words. There's a, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. All right, you should have a, uh, a handout at your table, the weekly update. Uh, so if you do, if you would put your names at the bottom of that, uh, take a couple minutes, pray as a group. Uh, for those of you online, thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you would write any prayer requests in the comments, uh, we would love to pray for those as well. Uh, and there are two sections. I, I call this out every once in a while. There's one section for if you just need something prayed for for this week. There's another section for if you want something to be included on the right-hand side that kind of stays in this ongoing prayer request section. So uh, thanks for coming to Sunday School today. And I can't wait to go and to worship this one who is worthy, who is like no one else, who when $20,000 is spent on him, it's actually just a small fraction of the reflection of his worth. So, thanks guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.